You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center's Pastors Scott and Tina Witwan. Verse 14 this morning, Romans 8, 14. In Romans 8, 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your precious Holy Spirit that you have sent him to live in us and to empower us, to lead us and to guide us. And we thank you, Lord, that he leads us as sons and daughters, as children of the Most High. And we thank you that you lead us into righteousness. And we thank you, Lord, that, we, that you lead us into the fulfillment of your calling and purposes. And today as we open the word, we'll be sure that we pay close attention to sound doctrine and to give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Much of the church is looking for something new in 2022. I've heard all of the, you know, not all of them, but I've heard a lot of the cool slogans that churches have come up with for 2022. But Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, There is nothing new under the sun. And I have, in my years of ministry, seen many people get off course because they're looking for something new. They're looking for something flashy. They're looking for something exciting. But the God that we serve is the God of ultimate excitement. I mean, have you read the Old Testament? The Lone Ranger has nothing. You know, there's always excitement in the Lone Ranger because he's always losing his gun, being held captive, and then he gets it back and, you know, saves the day. But the stories in the Old Testament of the God we serve is a God of excitement. He is also the God of excitement in the New Testament. Think about this. The new birth. It is still new today. Over 2,000 years old, and yet it's new today. And for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And, and the Bible says they become a new creation. One like this never existed before. Behold, all things become new. Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. But there is something true for 2022. And that's the Word of God. That's our relationship with God. That's the infilling of God and the ministry of God. They are true. And they are for you. Okay, is that enough rhyming? For the entire year. For me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Hallelujah. But let's look at something true. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. 2 Corinthians... Chapter 9, verse 1. And it says here, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous. That means it's redundant. It's over the top. I shouldn't really need to do this for me to even write to you. See, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. This is his second letter. He has a strong ministry there. He has, has, has 
uh, ministered in power and, and, and in signs and wonders and miracles. And uh, not unlike the church here, the congregation here at, at Valor Christian Center, they, they should be knowledgeable about the things of God. And Paul says, well, it should be superfluous. It should be over the top. It should be more than is needed for me to even write and tell you these things concerning the ministry or the ministering of the saints. You should know this by now. See, something becomes redundant when I tell it to you. Let's say that I was to tell you something today. And then I see you tomorrow and I tell you the same thing. And you're like, oh yeah, I, I, got, I got that, Pastor. I got that. And then I see you the next day, right? And I tell you the same thing. And you're like, come on, man. I mean, how dense you think I am. I mean, and that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, I shouldn't need to do this, but I, but I need to. Because I found out how dense you are. Amen? I'm the same way. I mean, there's many times that, that I have heard something in the Word of God, I have read something in the Word of God, and it didn't line up with what I understood about the Word of God, and I was very dense in the area until the light of the Holy Spirit illuminated it to me, and I, and, and I go, man, I've been missing it. What's really embarrassing is when you preach a message and you got to come back and go, okay, guys, here's where, here's, here's where I messed up. But that's what we're supposed to be, because we're supposed to be seekers of truth, right? We're supposed to be after God's will, not our will. And sometimes truth is painful. Sometimes the truth hurts a little bit. It, uh, it gets hold and bruises our egos. They say that men have bigger egos than women. So that means I get bruised more than you do. Women, maybe that's why my wife is often more right in discussions that we have than I am. But that's just speculating right there. But Paul's saying, I've got to be redundant with you. I've already told you this. I've already advocated that this is the way that, that, that we are to walk in accordance with the Word, with what Jesus has instructed us, with the, what the teachings of the law and the prophets say, this is how we are supposed to walk. But i got to do it again. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says it this way. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4, 14 and 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. He says that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about, with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. See, Paul's saying, hey, it's time to grow up. In Hebrews, he says, look, you ought to be moving away from these elementary things and starting to understand deeper things. But my observation of the body of Christ is we have a lot of children in the body of Christ. And the number one reason we have so many children in the body of Christ is because we did not spend our time in school. We didn't take the time to grow up spiritually and to get the Word of God on the inside of us. In the book of Joshua, 
the Lord says to him, don't ever let your mouth stop proclaiming my word. Don't ever let your mouth stop proclaiming my word. And there was a time when the word of God was central to our communities. The church was central to the communities because this was the gathering place where we'd come together for fellowship, for encouragement, and for enlightenment in the word of God. There was a time when our educational system taught reading from the Word of God. But unfortunately, the church has taken on this new dimension or this new, I guess, facade of the world that says, well, we'll let the world teach our kids in public schools, and then once a week we will take them to church Sunday school and hopefully they'll get them up to speed on everything. They'll teach them all the spiritual wisdom and all the spiritual knowledge that is needed. But it's not the way the family was designed. And that's why much of the church is still very much in this state. And so was the church at Corinth. I don't want you to be children who are tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. I mean, and there's a lot of that. I've had people come to me and say, well, pastor, what do you think about this new thing? This thing where we do this, or where God's doing that. And I I always say the same thing. Give me chapter and verse. What does the Bible say about it? Oh, yeah, but this is exciting. Prophet so-and-so or apostle so-and-so is doing this, and, and they're having great numbers in the meetings. Well, just because there's a lot of children who's tossed to and fro doesn't mean you and I need to be one of them, right? Paul said to stick to sound doctrine, stick to the Word of God, stick to that which God has conveyed to us. Just because a preacher says something does not make it true. Just because they've got a name in front of their name, pastor, apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, That does not mean what they're saying is true. That's why I say, take notes. Go and study to show yourself approved and verify that what I am teaching is the Word of God. Because that's your responsibility. Children who do not know how to practice the Word of God can be tricked and carried away to believe all kinds of spiritual stuff. And that's normally how it comes. I remember I had... uh, uh, this lady, and I knew her from another church that Pastor Tina and I had, had attended, but several years later, she had found out that, you know, that we had been traveling and had been working with a crusade team, and, um, you know, and she came, and and the only thing I can describe it is like a Catherine Kuhlman dress, if anybody remember the pictures of her flowing gowns. So she came to church this Sunday, and after service came well, we're doing this, we're having this crusade, you'd be perfect. And, and here's the thing that, that happens, is, is, is your ego gets stroked. I've heard you've been doing this, and I know you'd be the perfect person. I've heard you've got these great gifts and talents, and you'd be perfect as, in leadership and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, y- y- you want to say, whoa, stop, 
Come out, <laughs> you evil spirit. Because why are you here talking to me and not up talking to the pastor and asking him if you can get me involved in something? You see that before church splits. Somebody in the congregation all of a sudden has become anointed. I can preach better than the pastor. I've got more anointing than the pastor or as much anointing as the pastor. Come on, let's start, let's start this little thing here at my house. Let's start this thing. Oh, invite so-and-so. Get those people. And then you get enough of a group together and you say, well, let's just start our own thing. We already got a thing going here. God's obviously in it. Well, bad seeds grow bad trees. And very seldom do things started with bad seeds ever turn out to anything. Carried away by every wind of doctrine, tossed to and fro. It's interesting, Pastor Steve Riggle, you know, our organizational president was here, and he pastors a, a church of over 10,000, I think it's close to 15,000 in Houston. And it was funny because he was, he was saying, we were talking about, you know, people coming and going, and he goes, oh yeah, it happens all the time, everywhere. He says, uh, there's five major churches kind of in, in the Houston area, and we all basically share the same congregation, because they'll come here for a while, they'll get offended, then they'll go there, and they'll be there a while, and they'll get offended, then they'll go over there for a while and get offended. And he says, before long, they're back in your church again. They're just tossed. They're not, they don't stick to anything. They're children. You know, you ever notice how, how children don't stay you know, you buy them a game and they're real excited about it, and then five minutes later they want something else. They're, they're chasing, like the dog, chasing the squirrel. You know, you're throwing the ball for the dog and he's on it until he sees a squirrel and off he goes. You know, he's, he forgets what he was real, his real mission was. That's what children do. We're not to be tossed to and fro. Verse 15. Remember, we were in Ephesians, right? Chapter 4. Verse 15. But speak the truth in love that you may grow up in all things into him who is the head. Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. See, our mission as a body is determined on everyone doing their share. Everyone doing their share. And I have heard this. Well, that's the pastor's job. Let the pastor do it. Everyone needs to do their fair share, otherwise it's not fully effective, causes lack their growth. I sat in a deacon's meeting where they were discussing the pastor's salary. And I heard people say things like, well, he could also clean the bathrooms, and then maybe it would be worth giving him a little more. Why does he need so much money? We've got other people doing this, and what is he getting paid for? I'm just like, and I'm the guy going, I think we need to pay him. This long before I was a pastor or called to even this, you know, to the pastoral ministry. I think we need to pay him more. Brother Hagen shared a truth with me many years ago, and that's if, if the minister of God is not blessed, the congregation will not be blessed. It's true in business also. If your mentors are broke, how do you expect to, to excel and be prosperous in business? You've got to find somebody who knows what they're doing and is profiting. 
and do what they're doing. You don't have to do it the way they're doing it. I mean, you can do it honestly. I've noticed that, that you can bring honor into things, and God will bless that. Amen? But everybody needs to do their own share, spiritually, physically, and financially. That, that is what determines the growth here. I mean, we have a healing service the last Sunday of every month. But really, God's will is that you walk in divine health. Right? Your faith acquires everything that your body needs, everything that you need. It's the same way financially. God's plan, God's desire, is that we believe we have faith for everything that we need in life. Amen? Now go with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Romans 12, 4 through 8. Here it says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Now the easiest way to describe this is a sports team. Okay, and because we're in football season right now, I'll use football as an analogy. Now, when those 54 guys come out on the field, not all of them are quarterbacks. Amen? But they're all football players, right? So we're all believers. We've all received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're all believers, right? But we're not all quarterbacks on the football team. We're not all the senior pastor of the church. Right? We're not all the evangelists. We're not all the apostle. Everybody has their own individual, call it calling, gifting, ministry, administration. Everybody is uniquely fit together. You all have this calling that God has put on you. But every role that is represented in here is needed. Okay, so you have 54 guys. Why do you have 54 guys? Because every one of them is needed to fill a role. Now, do all those guys fill an individual role only? No, they don't. I've got a perfect example. Patriot fans aren't going to like it very much. But last night, there was a football game. Well, it wasn't much of a football game, but they played. The quarterback for the Buffalo Bills did his job as being the planner, the director of the team. But he's also six foot four and 250 pounds and as fast as the wind. So he played another role on the team, right? And so that's the way it is. He was also at times played the role of running back. There are lots of these examples you can use on a football team. You take the tight end, right? His job is to catch passes. But no, he's, he's also supposed to block. Got multiple roles, and that's the way it is in the body of Christ. But many times, many times we think, well, no, my calling is this. That's all I can do. I can't do anything else. But see, each player on the team understands their calling, whether it's a quarterback, a receiver, a lineman, the center, whether he's a linebacker or a defensive back. They know their calling on the team, right? 
But when there are other things to be done, what happens? They jump in and do them. Safety intercepts a ball, the defensive back becomes a what? He becomes a blocker. Right? So, why is it that we think that if we've got this calling, I'm a, I'm a prayer warrior, pastor, that's all I do, I just do intercession. Nope, I'm an evangelist. I can't teach kids because I'm an evangelist. We think we got this one calling on us, and therefore, in, in ministry life, we are just unilateral. I mean, we can only move one way. We're like children. And when we don't get our way, we stomp our feet. Well, in the church many times, it means we leave. Nope. I wanted to be an usher. They told me to be a greeter. I'm out of here. Don't they know I've been an usher for you know, 50 years and I'm tired of it? See, we're, we're like children. Not finding the heart of God, but trying to find God's heart in our will. Tossed to and fro. Even players on a football team serve. They serve each other. They do whatever it takes to win. And you'll see that in all areas of sports. But the pattern should be in the church. We all are members having a function, many of us, but we're also individuals. Not only are we filling in the body, but we're individuals. So we take our individual ministries and we make the body work. And where the body is missing something, we step up and we say, I'll fill that role for the glory of God. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And there's many people just sitting on the sideline. They're just sitting on the sideline waiting for their specific gift to be needed. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. On ministry, let us use it in our ministry. And he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence, he who sows mercy with cheerfulness. See, let us use our gifts. I mean, I don't, I can't really, I mean, looking back, think of anything that we haven't done in a church. Not because we were the senior pastors, but because we were the servants of God. We said, here I am, Lord, use me. Clean toilets? I don't like that very much. Mop floors? I really don't like that. Sweep, don't like that. Take out the garbage, not my favorite thing to do. Set up for meetings, tear down after meetings, not my favorite thing to do. But you know what? You do it because you're a servant. You're saying, hey, I've got gifts, I've got talents. And you know what? The more I use the gifts and talents that God gave me, they weren't specifically my calling, the more God brought me into my calling. The more God allowed me to be used. And the more He used me. And it's like Isaiah here I said, here I am, Lord. Use me. Send me. Let me go. But many, too many times over the years, 27 years in full-time ministry, you, know, you hear a few things. You see a few things. But I've heard, that's not my calling. I've heard, no, I can't. No, I won't. And no, I don't. See, people are not using their giftings in accordance with their faith. Or maybe they are because of lack of faith. Because they haven't taken time to develop. God has given to every man a measure of faith. Everybody has been given 
faith, but have we done anything with it? Have we used it to step out? Have we used it to grow in God? Have we used it to grow in the grace of God so that we have more in our life than no, I can't, no, I won't, no, I don't? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we need to develop our faith. We need to use it. How many resources are sitting in pews all around the United States of America that are not being used? I'm a resource. You're a resource. God has resources, but so many of them are sitting in the pews. And when they leave church, they forget about their calling. They don't go home and talk to their neighbors. They don't go home and talk at school board meetings. They don't go home and talk in any of these places. But that's what God has called us to be, is salt and light to this world, to use those gifts and those callings. See, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer should be foundational and fundamental. Because after the new birth, we see an experience in Acts chapter 2. When here you've got the apostles, there's 120 of them, and, and they're born again, they're, they're excited, but they're powerless. They're powerless. When Peter was confronted, he denied the Lord three times. Christ was crucified, they scattered. But they came together on the day of Pentecost, 120 of them in one upper room, waiting upon the Lord for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, it says He empowered them with deutimous, dynamite, explosive power. And the first notable event was Peter preached an evangelistic message and won 3,000 to the Lord. And he didn't even have to speak it in English. Because when the Holy Spirit came upon him, they spoke with other tongues. And the men about the area, it says, from all different parts of the world, heard them in their own language. But see, now Peter had been empowered. And he says, men, we are not drunk as you suppose. But this is the promise of Joel. He said, I would pour out my spirit upon all flesh. See, we have to understand that in our life. In the life of a believer, we should be empowered to be changing things, which is why it's important that we know what it is we're supposed to be changing. That's why it's important to have the word on the inside of us. We've got to get it on the inside of us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, Now concerning the spiritual. Remember, gifts is added by the translators. Now concerning the spiritual. Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. See, Paul doesn't want you to lack understanding. Because the spiritual means the things relating to the kingdom of God. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about things that relate to the kingdom of God. And I'm saying the same thing. I don't want any of us, me included, to be ignorant, lack understanding regarding the things related to the kingdom of God. Because everything that you need, everything you need for your family, 
Everything you needed previously or will need in the future can be found in the kingdom of God. And that's where it begins, in the invisible. And that's why in Matthew 6, Jesus prayed that God's will, that heaven be brought to earth and that we experience the blessings, blessings of heaven here in this lifetime. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But if you don't understand how things operate in heaven, if you lack understanding about the spiritual, about God's kingdom, how are you going to know what you're entitled to? How are you going to know what God called you to do? How are you going to know how far you can go or what you can do? Because the Great Commission said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. When was the last time you preached the gospel to somebody? It said, go into all the world and cast out demons. When was the last time you cast a demon out of somebody? It said, go into all the worlds and lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. When was the last time you prayed for the sick? See, that's the spiritual. That's how things operate in the kingdom. See, Jesus, when he, when he gave us the commission, was telling us how, they sh how we should operate here on earth because this is how things operate in heaven. There is no sickness up here, guys. Okay, so go lay hands on the sick and get rid of that nasty thing. There are no demons up here. We're far above all principalities, powers, mights, and dominions. So I want it to operate like heaven. Go, get, go kick the devil out of everything he's in. And the only thing that's up here is my word. It resounds from my throne. So go and preach that word to every corner of the world. See, that's how things operate in the kingdom. But see, we are so used to operating in the world, we've said, well, that spiritual stuff is for Sunday. We'll just keep it on Sunday. And maybe if we go to a restaurant, we'll, we'll, we'll pray over our food. And then people will know we're spiritual. No, it's a lifestyle. I don't want you to be ignorant. That's what Paul's saying. He wants you to understand how the kingdom of God works. Because he goes on and says, hey, I know that you were Gentiles. Those who didn't know God, didn't have an understanding of God. And you were carried away under the way the world thinks, under dumb idols. Because that's the way you were led. That's the way you grew up. That's the way you were taught. But he says it's time to change. Because you're only going to believe what you've been taught or what you've learned. That's all you're going to believe. So if you've never read this, you won't know what God has for you. You'll have heard stories about it, and you'll, like most politicians, quote it wrong or out of context. You'll use it to beat somebody over the head and tell them something that's not scriptural, and then get offended when somebody corrects you. See, if you were taught that tongues by the Holy Spirit ended, you won't experience the promise or the blessings of the gift of tongues in your life. And I've had many discussions with ministers who are with denominations that believe all the gifts ended, tongues interpretation, you know, the gifts of healing, all that's gone. And that's what they believe. But they can't give me chapter and verse to show me where it said it's going to end or where it did end. Because it hasn't. But if you believe that, you won't experience 
the power, the infilling, the power of God. Example, if you hear or see the power of the Holy Spirit in operation, because faith comes by hearing, then you will start to believe. Then you will start to understand. That's why, why you know, Jesus had to teach. He would go out on the boat, and he would teach. And then he would lay hands on the sick. I know you've heard me share that Brother Hagin said that, that he got to where he would only book meetings if he could do three weeks, every night for three weeks. And he wouldn't pray for anybody until he got to the ends of his meetings. Because he had to get people out of natural flesh over into the spiritual understanding. He had to retrain them and get their faith where they could receive. That's why the Bible says, don't lay hands on anybody suddenly. They're not in a place to receive. Brother Copeland, when he worked with Oral Roberts all those years in the tent meetings, Brother Oral would say to him, don't lay, anybody, don't lay hands on anybody until you feel the release of the anointing. I mean, because you can lay hands on people all day long by faith. But when the anointing, when God meets your action, then something happens. That's faith. There's a connection. You know, Jesus couldn't just do whatever he wanted any way he wanted. No, when he, when he went back into to Nazareth, it says he could do no mighty works. It says, oh, he, he, there were a couple of sick people that got healed. But Jesus said it was because of their unbelief. Why? Because they say, we know Jesus. Aren't we married to his sisters and his brothers with us? We know him. He's a carpenter's son. Who does he think he is? See, unbelief, doubt, and unbelief. See, doubt and unbelief says, I can't, I won't, and I don't. But see, faith says, I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Faith moves mountains. It does the impossible. If you only believe, all things are possible to him who believeth. Amen? So let me restate here again, Romans 12, 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. So we're about out of time this morning. So I want to read a couple more scriptures, and we'll use this as our jumping off point for next week. We've re we have referred to 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 as gifts, but it's so much more. And we're going to touch basis on this in the coming weeks. But let me go ahead and read this real, really quickly. It says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. But there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Do you know that God wants to profit you? In whatever area of life it is, whether it's physical, in your body, He wants to profit you. Whether it's in your finances, He wants to profit you. Whether it's in your relationships, He wants to profit you. Whether it's in your spiritual relationship with Him, He wants to profit you. And He has given us gifts, ministries, and administrations. 
Now, we refer to them all as gifts because of the interpreter in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, put in there the word gifts. But it's so much more. Because the word gift in Greek is the word charisma. It's where we get that word charisma. It just means gifts. So if I'm giving you a present, I'm giving you a gift, or if I'm doing something, using something that has been gifted to me, that's the word charisma. But that is very much different than ministries and administrations, and we're going to talk about that, and why it's important to you to understand, why it's important to not be ignorant of this. Because many times, we've just laid this on God. Oh, well, if the Spirit wills, He'll overpower me, and then I'll, I'll be able to do miracles, or I'll get a word of knowledge. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's never going to overpower you. He's never going to take advantage of you. And so you're waiting for something to fall on you like apples in an orchard. But there's a whole lot more to it than that. See, we have to not only be capable, but we also have to be willing. So let me go ahead and read verses 8 through 10. It says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gift of healings by the same Spirit, and to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. See, the Holy Spirit is willing to empower you. He is willing to empower you. But are you ready and willing to allow Him to empower and use you? That's the real question. It's not whether or not the Holy Spirit's ready. He's ready to empower all of us. But are we going to let our fears of embarrassment, concerns about what the world will say, what will so-and-so think about me? How are we going to react to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us? Amen? You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Whitwam. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, your word says, If I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321. Or by email at info at valorcc.com. That's info at valorcc.com or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona, 85296.